This is Bart Peterson, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Greg Gilchrist, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Dan DeMarco, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. Today, I have back with me one of my favorite guests, Doreen Edelman. Doreen is the chair of the Global Trade and Policy Group at Weinstein Sadler. She brings a level of expertise in global trade and policy, and we're going to visit today on CFIUS. If you're a compliance professional and you do not know what CFIUS is, you need to learn about it as it is one of the most important uh, government organizations around global trade policy. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode, and you're in for a real treat today because I have back Doreen Edelman, partner and chair of global trade and policy at Lowenstein Sandler. And we are back to talk about an incredibly important topic that does not get enough play in the compliance community, and that's CFIUS. So, Doreen, first of all, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome back, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. And uh, interestingly, um, to show you the the reach that uh, CFIUS has finally gotten, I think, into the national consciousness, there was an article uh, Sunday in the Houston paper about a uh, land sale in West Texas uh, to a Chinese company, and the uh, reporter raised a CFIUS question. So I was very pleased to see that, and I thought it would be a great way to lead into uh, really to start off by asking you, why uh, does everyone in the compliance function need to have some familiarity with CFIUS? Well, you're very welcome. And, and I think you said what is key. Uh, for whatever reason, CFIUS doesn't get enough attention. Maybe it's because it sounds like a disease. But beyond that, uh, well, I, I'm, I'm glad that you just brought that up because talking to my friends in government, they have said not enough people are paying attention to the addition of, I won't even say real estate, I'll say land that changed in the FIRMA regulations in 2018. So that's one reason. It isn't just about the traditional foreign investment in a national security business. We all get that. If the Chinese are going to buy a nuclear facility or a port, that raises the level of national security and everyone in the deal should know to pay attention. But what we're seeing to follow the, the real estate conversation, even if you're buying raw land, uh, if you were buying a, or, or a uh, pizza hut or Domino's, it happened to be right next door to the main gate of a submarine base, that would be caught because it's a business. You may not necessarily think of it as a CFIUS issue, which is another reason that we're having this this discussion, but even if it's raw land, which in the past was not covered under CFIUS, raw land purchases within certain locations around U.S. government and U.S. military sites are now subject to CFIUS. And they're, uh, in most cases, a strict liability. It's it's not going to happen. So you're not going to hear a lot about mitigation in these types of cases because the parties are most likely not going to apply for CFIUS safe harbor because they're not going to get one. So that's the reason. Uh, another reason that I really want compliance officers to be aware of this, because 
They're easy to miss if you're focused on a transaction deal. You've got the parties. Let's say one of the parties is a uh, headquartered in Chicago. You automatically assume that buyer is a U.S. entity. And you're not thinking that in every case you have to pierce the veil. Or if you're taking on investment and you've got an investor in New York City, you've got to burden the investors to provide you with the ultimate beneficial owners. And it sounds simple, but it is not simple because often people don't know the answers to that question. And that, that I think that has shocked me the most. The U.S. parties really don't know. They may know that you've got a holding company in the Caymans, but no one's ever pierced that veil and gone back behind that holding company or blocker company or whatever it is to find out who the ultimate owners are. So on one side, that's got to be a threshold question, who the owners are or the ultimate beneficiaries. And then on the other side, you've also have to really understand the technology and national security is not defined in any of these laws. And again, national security has become very uh, beyond broad. You would not think of TikTok as something that would be subject to national security. You would not think a dating app would be subject to national security. Another one that really got me was Stay in Touch. It's a hotel data company. That hotel data could provide information on where people are staying, and that that deal had to be mitigated or unwound to limit the share of that data. So the bottom line is all data is not equal, but compliance officers have to think from a very broad perspective. You really have to pretend you are writing a movie script. What could be the worst case? Perfect example of that is with biotech companies. Yes, you're making a vaccine, but what could somebody do with your technology if it wanted to? So that was a long answer to a short question. Well, it really raised, uh, led to a kind of a series of questions I wanted to, to pose to you. When I try to talk about this topic in the business community, I generally get at least one response is, oh, this is just about China. And I explain, no, this law has been around for quite some time. And then they go, well, it's just about foreigners, as we call them in Texas, or foreigners, or foreign ownership. Can you really help debunk those myths? Another very good question, because we do assume it's about China. I like to ask a poll question, which country has the most CFIUS filings? And it's not China. It's Japan, which, yeah, I think is very interesting, because Japan usually doesn't come up in the top five when we talk about um, national security concerns and CFIUS filings. The second country is Canada. And again, Canada is particularly interesting and raises another uh, point worth noting. Just because it's a friendly country, just because it may actually have a CFIUS exception in some situations, we can't have deal lawyers and investors automatically say to themselves, oh, we've checked the box on CFIUS because the investment's coming from the U.K., you can't do that because those exceptions only apply in limited circumstances. So you must ensure that all of the facts line up to fit that particular 
exception. Uh, obviously, we're concerned about Russia. And the big thing about China, the reason that China is of concern, it's not just about the Chinese government ownership. It's also because, as you may know, there is a Chinese law that companies must provide data if the Chinese government requests it of any Chinese company. So once you get Chinese ownership, the U.S. government is assuming that all of that data is subject to being provided to the Chinese government. Another area that uh, I sometimes get uh, inquiries about are, um, and this was really before the election, um, around what would happen under a Biden administration. And certainly in my world, the Department of Justice, FCPA, anti-corruption compliance, it's been a a clear continuum from literally from Bush to Obama uh, to Trump in, in terms of the professionalism of the line prosecutors. And I was intrigued, uh, I really wanted to ask you, do you see that sort of uh, same continuum with a Biden administration coming in or, or perhaps even an increase in CFIUS scrutiny? I do see a continuum and the, there's and an increase, actually. Uh, first point is national security is one of the very few topics that both conservatives and liberals can agree on. Everybody knows we don't want the Chinese taking our technology and Congress and the American people have expressed serious concern about that. And yes, it existed before Trump came in. Uh, when Trump came in, though, he made all of the these issues more public. CFIUS has been around since the late 70s. It is, as you know, not a transparent organization. In fact, it is a closed box. And in fact, the uh, individuals, mostly career service lawyers and policy personnel that work at the Treasury Department on CFIUS issues are bound by law not to reveal information on pending or past cases. So the reason that it has been more publicly available is specifically because President Trump and members of his cabinet have spoken, arguably, out of turn publicly about these issues. The difference between the administrations is you will not see that happening. CFIUS will stay in its box at the Treasury Department. You will not see executive orders publicly talking about ongoing CFIUS matters coming out of the White House. And if if you recall, in the instances where Trump has spoken about CFIUS from the White House, he has referred that to the Commerce Department. The Commerce Department does not traditionally, I mean, they're on the interagency committee. They're not in charge of the CFIUS investigations. That comes out of the Treasury Department. And the Treasury Department and the CFIUS staff personnel were not aware and did not write that language that came out of the White House on TikTok uh, and the other case. So again, another long answer to say we are staying the course. I'm actually betting that we are going to increase the enforcement of CFIUS cases for a couple of reasons. One, in the legislation that was passed a couple of years ago, we have increased the staffing allocation. There is a new office within CFIUS 
to focus on transactions and investments that were not notified uh, proactively by the parties. So that means they're going to be, I think it's they have permission to hire up to 20 lawyers. And last I heard, they were in the early teens. Those lawyers will be doing nothing but looking for transactions that have taken place that should have been reported to CFIUS. And of course, that should have been, uh, is in quotes and questionable because until last year, this was a voluntary process. But it's only a voluntary process in name because if you don't make that filing, you are always subject to the U.S. government coming back and undoing or requiring mitigation on your transaction. Dorian, in a previous answer, you talked about um, uh, shell corporations. I wanted to expand that to uh, what what a company should do or uh, how should they consider uh, investment from a limited partner or a limited partnership. How would they think through that? Is it the same as a shell corporation or is it because of the different characteristics, it requires a different analysis? It requires a different analysis and every fact pattern is totally different. But LPs do have an exception. And again, you can't just take that one sentence and say, oh, CFIUS doesn't apply. But if there are investors and that's the only foreign investment in a U.S. uh, transaction, and if that investment is through traditional LP vehicles, meaning that the limited partners will function as limited partners they will have no control. They will have no access to uh, sensitive personal data. They will have no access to controlled technology. They will have no board seats. They will have no observer rights. If they're merely getting financial data from an investment analysis standpoint, then they're true LPs and they can participate in transactions without triggering the CFIUS review. But that's a lot of ifs. So we have spent a fair amount of time talking about the problem. Now I was wondering if we might switch a little bit to talking about some of the solutions that you, your team, uh, can bring and what companies need to do. So can I maybe start with kind of a basic uh, question or at least a basic starting point? How should a company or investor start to consider CFIUS issues? Obviously, that's that's the key question to your your listeners. It's when and how. Unfortunately, normally, when it gets to the level of a lawyer, they're in the middle of the closing of a transaction, and someone says, "Oh, what about CFIUS? We need CFIUS sign off." And that's fine. In many cases, that works. But that is not prudent for a whole bunch of reasons. And what uh, recent guidance that's come out of the Treasury Department has said is that you need, well, we know it. You need to think about this early. But what does that mean? You actually need to think about it before you have paper to deal, before you have deal documents, and in some cases, even before you have potential buyers. So you know what the issues are going to be, whether this is even an issue. If you are a technology company 
do you even know if your technology is going to be considered controlled technology that the U.S. government is going to care about? If you are not an exporter, you probably have not, quote, classified your technology for export purposes. And if you haven't done that, you don't really know what the issues are for your technology. So you need to start there because that's going to be the first question your lawyers or ultimately your potential investors or potential buyers are going to have to figure out. And I would suggest it's prudent for you to figure it out. And let me tell you a couple of other advantages to doing this up front. We have seen deals or deal lawyers that I work with, got some pretty bright lawyers, and they have actually used the CFIUS issue to get the price higher in transactions. Because let's say you're having an auction and you have to provide information to all the potential uh, buyers and one of those questions gets to some CFIUS issues. Well, that may that may allow the buyers or potential buyers to know, oh, there are foreign parties in this deal. We've got an advantage. If we're a U.S. party, we're going to be able to save them time because we won't have to go through that CFIUS analysis, and that could be a leg up for us. On the flip side... I have seen foreign investors then say, well, we're willing to pay more because we're now competing against U.S. parties that aren't going to have that CFIUS issue hanging over them. And we're going to have to do some mitigation, perhaps, because of our foreign ownership. So we're going to give better terms. So the more you understand that, that that's a way you can use CFIUS to your advantage. Another is for uh, tech companies or other startups, thinking about what your exit strategy is. And if your exit strategy is you're going public on the U.S. stock exchange or you're going to sell uh, and you have a potential buyer in your industry that's a U.S. company, you may want to pay attention to who you're taking investment from at the early stages. I've seen companies that they're uh, getting ready to sell the company and they look back to the A round or the B round and lo and behold, they had a weird name organization which turns out to be a foreign investor and now their ultimate purchaser has a real problem because that foreign investment is in there and the direction of the company will have to be altered because of that investment. So that's a good three or four reasons I can think of that you want to start this in your initial planning to understand your own technology and or data. That really, I found that interesting because in compliance, we talk about prevent, detect, and remediate. And you've really talked about a proactive step a step way before uh, you're sitting across the table negotiating. Um, so, uh, but now could we maybe move to some of the exceptions or some of the other um, uh, ways that a company can perhaps uh, have either a de minimis, de minimis exception or other exceptions that someone like you could help walk them through? The de minimis exception is a trick question. It is none. And that, that's also frightening because many people assume we're doing a $2 million deal. You know, the time and the energy to go through and even think about CFIUS, let alone making a filing, doesn't fit in the budget. It's just, you got to, I get this, you got to help us. You know, it's a $10,000 budget for the entire transaction. We can't do a CFIUS filing. There's no de minimis. So... You then, uh, the company's then put in a, a difficult business judgment decision. It's like, what 
chicken and an egg. You either can, if you believe, well, someone's going to pick up the risk. Either you have to factor that risk into the transaction or you have to do your homework and make sure uh, that you're structured in a way that you're not going to have real CFIUS risk. So as you pointed out, you could have an LP, uh, take, you know, take away, minimize the risks in the transaction by not providing control or not providing access to technology. Uh, we've seen cases where we've actually set up a, a trust. We've sort of put our own mitigation in the deal where uh, we put in a, uh, almost, if you will, a, a blocking trustee to review data and technology so that we it doesn't get passed through to the foreign parties. I mean, there's there's unlimited ways to mitigate certain cases so you're not concerned about CFIUS. Because just as a reminder, Hello, everyone, if Tom you Fox do again. not like to thank you for listening choose, to this well, episode if you don't have to make a mandatory filing, and you then just have, you have a voluntary filing, and you don't you have time or t-fox money to make it, you run the risk in the future that the government will come back in. So the more limitations you already have in your operating agreement and your organizational structure to limit what could be national security issues, the better off podcast, please send them to me. We started off as well, or you can leave them on the comment about real estate. The FCPA compliance report is read in a newspaper article. And I was wondering if you might be able to talk to us a little bit about the rules around real estate. Are they different? Or how does that come into play under listening? This comes in actually in two different ways because real estate has its own chapter, but it also comes in under the standard balancing analysis of a transaction itself. So if you have a pizza place next to a submarine base, and that has foreign ownership, and they could be tracking. Here's 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 a perfect example. In, let's just pretend that uh, the submarines go out on their six month journey from this base, and it happens to be that the night before they go out, the captain allows the guys an all night out, and there is a tremendous spike in pizza deliveries. I mean, this sounds hokey, but this the this, serious. Lots of pizzas are issued that night. And if you were tracking this and you were an enemy of the United States and you knew that that meant that there was an impending departure and there were going to be changes or, or something was going to happen, that could be significant information for you tracking when, where, when and where submarines go. That would come underneath a uh, would be reviewed as a purchase of a business. That's covered by CFIUS. The new regulations that came out through FIRMA on real estate are actually for the land on the basis of land alone. Because as another example, if you recall, the Waldorf Astoria was going to be purchased by Chinese. And that uh, there was an issue there because uh, you, I think it was actually Secret Service or part of the UN had an office in there. And that was going to be a problem. And they that office actually moved out of the building to solve that problem. So we've been able to handle the building side of it. But now we're looking at the land side. So the government has provided very specific regulations 
depending on what type of installation, if you're within 100 miles of certain installations, and in some cases, if you're in within one mile of other installations, and this is complicated to look up because the government has provided some links, but they have not provided all of the data in one place. And we're actually working on that. I am getting my IT guys to put together a user-friendly real estate check so companies can check that because I'm quite confident companies that are looking at buying raw real estate are not running some type of CFIUS analysis. And I don't want companies to be stuck on that one mile chart either. Just because let's say you're a mile and a half, does that mean that you shouldn't think about whether there's national security risks? I think you should, because there's still that voluntary filing aspect. Doreen, let me take things in a little bit different direction. Could you maybe unpack TikTok for us uh, in terms of not only CFIUS, but what we're seeing in the uh, U.S. federal courts, uh, uh, I guess within obviously the, the trade disputes between the U.S. and China, and maybe make a little sense for our listeners of what this is about? Well, again, I want to keep CFIUS in its lane. You have the CFIUS TikTok matter, and then you have whatever we want to call what the White House has been doing. uh, TikTok, which in normal circumstances, we would not be discussing this because we would not know about this. TikTok has... Chinese ownership, and the risk is that all that personal data that's being collected on individuals, and those individuals could include members of the U.S. government, corporate officials in companies that foreign individuals may care about. So that data can be useful in the broadest sense of the word, and as we discussed earlier, we know that the Chinese government, by definition, can require that Chinese owner to provide this data to the Chinese government. So that is a risk. So um, also was a problem, or there is a problem, uh, on the technology side of it, where servers are located, because there is still a belief that if the servers are in the United States, we have better control of that data And we know a lot of companies that, like take Zoom. Zoom records videos, and I believe the data of those videos are all kept on a Chinese server. So the U.S. is trying to find ways to mitigate the ability of all that data to be taken by the Chinese government. So this would all be negotiated behind the scenes. In this case, it has become public and we're all aware that there are different uh, entities bidding for that ownership. There's discussions of bifurcating the company, uh, leaving the U.S. products in the U.S. And I I think this is a bigger play for the government, our government, in that this is not the only case where these issues are being considered. So this is being discussed by the committee it's being discussed, uh, the Treasury Department and uh, in other agencies, as you know, because CFIUS is an interagency, NSC is involved, uh, economic policy, state, blah, 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 all kinds of uh, companies. And they are, I would 
believe, coming up with a solution of mitigation that they can use in other cases. So we may not know the final results of what happens. I do not believe that once the administration changes over, you will hear any more about this. The president and the White House will not be involved unless, as it's in the law, it only goes to the president in the rare circumstances that mitigation can't be achieved. In this case, uh, the parties don't want to know or an answer of no, so they are finding a mitigation solution. And that will play out, and we will be able to see by the transaction results what the committee has decided is the best practice forward in situations like this. So the bottom line is we're looking for a solution to protect that data. That's the bottom line. Don't get lost in all the rhetoric. It's about ownership and access to the data and the technology. Doreen, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but uh, you have, I think, a really great offer for our listeners. And I was wondering if you could uh, tell us about your offer and then also uh, it, and it will also uh, coincide with listeners who want more information on CFIUS or any of the topics you've raised today. So what do you have for the listeners? Well, what, what we've been trying to do is prepare a pre-deal or at least early in the deal <laughs> checklist of questions that either investors or target companies need to think about. Uh, we cannot... We don't put one checklist out there because really, depending on what role you play and who the existing ownership is in a company, the questions change. But we're willing to provide a checklist to companies that need one, some initial guidance to help them get started in this review. And all anyone needs to do is shoot me an email or go on Lowenstein website. But my email is Edelman which is D-E-D-E-L-M-A-N at Lowenstein.com. Uh, we're going to link to all of that in the show notes, uh, Doreen. And I wanted to thank you again. It's been a, always a lot of fun to visit with you about this topic. And I hope that uh, in six or 12 months, when you get a sense of the Biden administration, I might call upon you again to visit with us uh, about where we are in the future. Yeah, there's a lot of focus right now on data. That's where we are now. We'll see where we are in six months. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you have any questions on this episode, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast in iTunes, as would help us increase our rankings and expanding our listener base for the oldest podcast in compliance. If you have any questions you'd like explored on this podcast, please send them to me as well, or you can leave them on the Compliance Podcast Network. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. I hope you'll join us again next week where we take up another issue in FCPA and compliance. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.